Welcome to the Visceral Voice Podcast. I'm your host, Christine Schneider. Through this podcast, I aim to bring you the most current, up-to-date research on voice science, function, pain science, movement, and everything in between. I am on a quest to learn everything I can about the living, breathing body and its intricate connection to the voice. This podcast documents the continuation of my learning and my experience as a professional singer, a nutritional consultant, a movement specialist, and a manual therapist. Join us as we strive to provide current, knowledgeable, creative, and compassionate information to help you restore, regain, and create happiness and success on your vocal journey. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. On today's episode, I have a conversation with CJ Kobliska, a movement specialist talking about training scoliosis. When talking about movement, CJ says, movement is a daily practice for me. I feel immense gratitude for my ability to explore and feel through funky movements. I'm often swinging kettlebells, maces, rope flowing, lifting heavy stuff and discovering new ways to feel into my body through intensive, intentional torque shifting. Gray Institute and Gymnazo opened me up to systematizing my own movement practice through three-dimensional awareness, matrix training, and exposing the depths of the observational essentials of human movement. I imagine a world where we each of us discovers our own movement blueprints and can use movement as a source of inspiration, clarity, joy, peace, and whatever else you want to use it for. It is a beautiful way to connect with ourselves and others through direct experience, communication, and observation. We are all unique movers, and I see our bodies as instruments, maps, and spacesuits to bring joy and expression to our lives. What? I just love that so much. I'm really stoked about having this conversation with CJ today, and I hope you enjoy the conversation with CJ Kobliska about training scoliosis. I would love to hear, and I'd love for the listeners to hear more about you and your journey into becoming a movement specialist in all of the three-dimensional movement that you train. I started with a lot of uh, sports, like playing everything under the sun in elementary school and high school and fell in love with just movement, being outdoors, being part of a community and competing with others and competing with myself. And um, in falling in love with uh, that, that practice, um, I was able to get into like coaching and training others what I learned. So it was a lot of you know, wrestling, football, volleyball, kind of one-on-one opportunities and also some coaching opportunities for some bigger groups um, through high school even too. This wasn't even um, uh, in college. This was just when I was a junior, senior, I was working with youth athletes like in elementary school as well and mm. assistant coaching um, and while at the same time playing my sport too. And so it was really cool, kind of a segue of just like, oh, what do I want to do with my life? Do I want to coach? Do I want to train? Do I want to do something in fitness and health? And so I was asking myself these questions and, um, you know, going into college, I had chosen that I was going to go into kinesiology and potentially do something with human movement and biomechanics. And 
uh, at Cal Poly, we had to declare a major. So I didn't, it was like, I wasn't fully sure, but I was like, well, that sounds really cool. Maybe I could teach PE. And that sounds like a cool uh, stepping stone to go from there. So I was facing these questions. And at the same time, um, I was also facing one of the biggest injuries um, in my sport career. And it was in my junior year of high school. I had uh, pulled muscle in my shoulder and picking kids up, you know, moving guys around. I was a really strong athlete and I didn't rely a lot on my technique. I relied a lot on my traditional strength training roots. Um, I was very buff, short, stocky guy and I could use my muscle. Um, I didn't have to have technique. I had decent technique, um, but I could get away with strength and I was still kind of evolving how, how, uh, how I moved and my style of training and my style of movement. So um, at that time when I got that pulled muscle, I was wrestling with it and, and basically going like 80% one arm and 20% another arm because I couldn't really use my left side. So I was wrestling well. I was winning, losing here and there, but I wasn't at my full capacity. And um, in the course of a year, I had learned that I had subluxed my shoulder over a dozen times. So every weekend I was wrestling, my shoulder would kind of go out of place. Luckily, my dad was one of my coaches. He was an EMT and could pop it back in and then we'd be back in the match. I'm like, okay, I'm good. But that was really excruciating. And I just tried to get away with using an arm. And I, you know, I didn't really know how the, the whole healing um, process worked or like, Hey, I you know, need to go to a doctor. The doctor's going to say, Hey, don't wrestle. And then I have to like be out for a bit. So I was like, ah, screw it. I'm just going to um, figure it out myself. And long story short, at the end of the year, I had um, fully dislocated my shoulder. It was already like at, at its limit. And I had dropped a guy down, went to go score um, in a, in a good, um, you know, going towards a championship match. And when I went to pull my arm out, it got caught and it went, ah, Oh. And it was the most pain I'd ever experienced. Like, oh, it was like stabbing my heart and it was in my shoulder. I, I couldn't move. And I just laid there, took the loss. Like, just like, let me, let me be, let me lay oh. here for a moment. And coach was like, oh, you know what? You probably got something bigger going on here. I was like, yeah, definitely. Like this needs to get checked out. I cannot, I literally cannot move my arm and it can't get popped back into place. So I um, got an x-ray MRI. They basically said, yeah, your shoulder dislocated fully and your bicep separated. And you basically have all this damage to your shoulder that, you know, how long have you been wrestling with this? And so that forced me into this, this questioning of shit. I was like, was I going to wrestle in college? You know, was I going to play sports in college? Did I want to continue along this route and still be plagued with injuries that I'd experienced from the past? Um, at the same time, the doctor's saying, you know, Hey, it's gonna be like a 12 month recovery. Like you're not going to wrestle your senior year. And I was like, but this is like my spotlight time, you know, like this, mm -hmm. I'm finally at my peak for high school not considering anything else. Um, so I was going through a big life change and, and a lot of questioning that I don't think I had ever actually experienced in my life. Like that was kind of my, my big trauma where it just kind of shifted the course of um, my future or what I was passionate about. Luckily I'd already declared kinesiology. I was like, I want to go into movement. I want to go into some kind of like biomechanic PT route, like physical therapy route, but not necessarily be a physical therapist. Um, because my experience in that recovery after I had surgery and was in a sling, and then I had to go through PT and the PT was so boring. Um, I, it was intense, like it was necessary. Like I had to get some strength back in my arm, but just, it was so such a somber experience. Like nobody's really excited to like help me out. Nobody's mm -hmm. passionate about what I was passionate about. They're just like, Hey, I got you for eight weeks. We're going to do these things. And then you're never going to move your shoulder, you know, up overhead again. Like you're, it's going to be a limited, um, for the rest of your life, but you're going to be in less pain. And I recognize at that moment that whenever there's limitation posed on me, I'm going to do everything to fight for freedom. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so I was like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. Whatever. And then 
they said, yeah, don't wrestle your senior year. So I decided to wrestle. I went through the PT route and then I started doing my own training. And I basically had a small arm and a large arm. It was like kind of this, like I could really train my right side. My left side was so weak. So how do I find balance? Will I ever find balance? And um, facing these questions, I really developed a passion for um, being curious of movement practices, of methodologies, of stuff that could help me continue to grow and thrive in what I wanted to do in my life and not have to be plagued by pain and dysfunction because of a limitation that was posed to me. Like, yeah, you're never going to be able to do this again. You're mm-hmm. not going to do this. And I was like, ah, why are you saying that? You know, it just didn't feel right. I mean, no, no hard feelings for the, for the doctors. I mean, they're doing their job and if they say, Hey, go wrestle again, you go injure yourself. It's like, we can almost put it back on them. So um, don't want to disregard that because it was super helpful but it didn't help me get back to where I wanted to be. It kind of brought me back to a baseline of function, but I wanted to be a, a high level athlete. I wanted to perform. I wanted to show up. I wanted to be um, you know, at my peak for as long as possible. And then as I age, continue to find that peak for that age. So um, I wrestled my senior year. I kind of re-injured my arm and my other side was hurting. So I, I laid low a little bit and didn't wrestle for most of the year in um, competition, wrestled just in practices and stuff, had a decent year, but I decided like, Hey, wrestling is not my future. I can coach it, but I'm mm-hmm. not going to do it. So went to Polly, uh, went through the whole kinesiology route for, for years, met my wife there. And uh, we trained together, just traditional style stuff that I knew. And then also just kind of branched out saying, Hey, you want to try this like fun, unconventional lift or this, this training. And she was all about it. Like we did a lot of studio training. And in that process, I had support and friends um, that wanted to train too and felt good and strong. And I felt like, oh my gosh, look what I can do. You know, my arm can go overhead. I can lift weights up and look, my left side looks like my right side now. And this is over the course of about a year and a half, two years. Um, And then kind of fast forward through through probably going through all the foundations of biomechanics and human movement and development and and injuries and geriatrics and motor learning, all these pieces that go into functional training or just training in general. Um, I fell in love with like the process of learning, but I felt like there was never that next layer that kind of brought me into critical thinking. It was just being told this is how the body works. And it was about being on a table and you know, mm-hmm. being in it like almost like cadaver science, which is mm-hmm. super helpful, but not the full story because we're not dealing with a live human. So you have to see how the muscles connected, look at a cadaver and see how the pieces are all like one color. They're not all these different colors like the textbook shows, you know, and you're like, oh, this is insane. <laughs> I'm actually got an actual body with muscle. Um, and that got me super pumped up because then when I started training, I was, I had a visual of what it looked like inside of me. And it kind of lit me up from the inside out. And I just wanted to move and be outdoors, hike, run out to the dunes, go surf, go throw a ball for a few hours, like just be able to do things that I love. Meanwhile, I'm seeing you know, um, older family members, older friends, colleagues and stuff that are around that just didn't move well, but they're teaching movement science. And it mm. was just kind of this, this budding of heads of, okay, you're teaching me cool stuff, but I'm not seeing it in action. At the same time, I was kind of considering where am I going to go with my future? I was going to go into fire department mm-hmm. and be of service somewhere um, or maybe open my own gym or like I'm very kind of like just go with the flow of where is my path taking me and kind of set myself up for that that opportunity to, to make that decision soundly. Um, and at that time, I had uh, Peyton Hughes and, and Sebastian um, from Poly um, that from, or from uh, Gymnazo that came into Cal Poly to one of my nutrition classes my senior year. And they were sharing, like, you have to get an internship to graduate. So I was like, oh, what am I going to do? I have like two quarters left. I don't have an internship. What am I going to do to graduate? They came in right at the like right time that same week. I was questioning this. 
sounded really cool. They were super friendly talking about that behavioral side, the, um, fit, you know, the actual physical side of it, and then how to basically bring in your knowledge of physics and math and um, psychology and put it all into a mix of training that they called functional training or applied functional science training that comes from Gray Institute. It sounded really neat. Signed up for it, got an interview. Basically two weeks later, we started the internship and holy moly, in 10 weeks, <laughs> my mind was so blown. I was so blown away by what the coaches knew. I was like, how old are you guys? Like, you are, I feel like you're smarter than what my teachers are telling me, but it's because you're like, you're on the front lines, you know, you're, mm. you're doing this and working with real live people every day. And I was so, um, I could, f- I could feel my passion, my fire kind of roaring. And I was like, oh man, I really hope I get a job here. This is so neat. And, um, 10 weeks of going through, you know, unpaid, uh, labor and, and learning. It was like a lot of learning on the job and co-coaching and talking about all these back end layers that can be pretty complex, but not confusing. They're just complex pieces mm-hmm. that go into a full unit. And, um, the way they taught and coached was like more of a guiding factor. They weren't telling me or pulling me into a dogma or methodology. It was like, here's how we do things, but it's always evolving. And so, I mean, since I've started about six years ago, like I feel like I've lived a couple lifetimes <laughs> because yeah. of what I've, what I've faced. And I never thought I'd be working with people from, you know, eight years old to 80, 90 years old and in the same building at the same time. Like, ah, oh, it's, it's so cool. So I went through great institutes programs, CAFS, cause that's what all the coaches had it was all online learning. And then I went through the fellowship a year later, which was the 40 weeks of um, basically online learning. And then you go out to Michigan for, for three times that year. And basically it's like a mastermind of application of, functional manual reaction, how to work on an ankle, how to work with a knee, how to work with a hip, how to work with the spine, how to work with the shoulder, and then how they all work together in a whole. And I was like, oh, this this just makes sense. Like we're, we're looking at it as units of pieces, but we're not reduction. We're not focusing so much on reduction. We're trying to bring it into a bigger picture. We're working with real people that have a brain, that have a heart, that have a gut, that care about their body. Um, they just need some guidance. So where I am now is I, I've director of programming and uh, coaching. So I oversee the programming at Gymnazo and just doing that every quarter. Like I feel like I learned something new about myself, about how I can coach and how I can help other coaches coach even better. Um, it's not really how I coach. It's just what we can talk about and be curious about and learn together, kind of opening up this, this uh, web for critical thinking to solve issues versus just a protocol and protocol mm-hmm. has its place, but we've got to be able to think about how that protocol is applies to individual people. So that's kind of where we are at now and um, working with people who are injured, people who are looking for performance, like it's like the performance restorative and fitness kind of blend. Um, and it's a whole ecosystem of, of um, service. It's amazing how many people I talk to whether, you know, it's someone in my clinic or someone that I'm training or just a friend, but certainly within my own life that was told that I would never do certain things again. And what was the first, and I was young and probably stupid. And what did I do? I went out and I did those things. I would never scuba dive. I did anyway. You know, I had a punctured lung from what was happening with my thoracic surgery. And I, I was told, no, you'll never scuba dive. And I went to a dive doctor, <laughs> failed the breathing test eight times, and finally he passed me. And I went diving, <laughs> and I did it. That's and awesome. I be- became certified in diving. And, you know, just the certain things that I was told that I wouldn't be able to do. I ran marathons. I didn't ever think I'd be able to do it. 
I did push my body to the limit and got to a point where I was like, mm, okay, now I want longevity. I don't want to push so much and hurt my, my body that's just doing so much incredible work to take care of me. Let me take care of my body and give my body, you know, give all of these wonderful things back to my body. So, so similar where we have these injuries and are told we'll never do something. And I wish we could take that word out of our vocabulary. That never, the never, oh man, (laughs) yeah, the never work. Yeah. The, the positive self-talk, the, the ability of a, of an authority to know the power of their words, um, mm-hmm. you know, and the authority of a doctor or um, somebody that's just respected that somebody's coming to you for guidance. If you put that limiting factor on somebody, they're going to take that and either completely run away from it or mm-hmm. hold that for the rest of their life. And, I, you know, we work with so many runners and bikers and hikers and people that want to go and, and live their life and really enjoy these things. And for like a longtime runner to be told, hey, you're not going to, you shouldn't run mm-hmm. anymore. We have to find a way to kind of get them back into running and understand like, why can't they run? Is it because we just care about their safety and their protection? That's great. But can we bring the power back into their hands and into their decision-making that helps them continue to grow um, even into their 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s and do the things that they love, you know? We are here today to talk about scoliosis. I am so grateful that you came on the podcast to talk to me about scoliosis. <laughs> I saw some of your videos, amazing videos, working with one of your clients with scoliosis, and I was just blown away by it. I've worked with it in a clinical setting, um, but I haven't trained it a lot. So I just wanted to pick your brain about training scoliosis. So first, let's start kind of at basics. Let's talk about what scoliosis is. I'm sure most of the listeners know, but what is scoliosis? From what I understand, um, it's a musculoskeletal dysfunction. So it involves your muscles, it involves your skeleton, um, and how those essentially are interacting with the forces around you, like gravity pulling you down all day long, um, ground reaction force when your foot hits the ground, uh, mass and momentum, how you move your body through space in reference to yeah, gravity and ground reaction force. So essentially, uh, scoliosis is just an abnormal lateral curve of your spine right or left if we're going to make it super plain and simple um but it really is it's a it's a triplane dysfunction so though it's lateral bend and we can say like oh yeah i have a you know curve to one side or another which we'll get into the different types um we have to realize that our spine can move through space in three um, dimensions and there's Mm -hmm. poles into flexion and extension you know like elevating and pulling back and then compressing into that front side. So flexion extension, that's the sagittal plane movement potential of the spine. If we think about two poles, we also have this lateral dimension. So we can lean to our left or lean to our right. So like lateral bending in the frontal plane. And then there's also the third, which is the transverse plane. So it's the rotation left or rotation right of your spine. Now our spine has the ability to go through those motions and Typically, they're not going to, it's not going to stay in one. It's always in some kind of combination of the three. And so for scoliosis specifically, there's lateral bending, sure. But when we laterally bend, we don't just hold into a side bend. Typically, we're going to bail into some kind of rotation. Mm-hmm. So if, and this is the, how the story goes, if you bend to your left, typically you're going to fall into right rotation. Mm-hmm. You're going to fall forward a bit. So it also pulls you into flexion. And then if you have a bend to your right, typically you're going to want to rotate left and fall forward there. Mm-hmm. It's really, and it's definitely helpful to like try this out yourself because our spine can go through those. And sometimes we have limitations in those movements. So our body prefers to stay in one pole. Scoliosis keeps you in that pole. 
basically if you're leaning one way and turning the other, that's where your body prefers to stay. That's its identified position. I mean, you can identify scoliosis a few different ways, but typically what we find is like when you're about 10 to 15 years old, like going through that growth spurt, if you bend over forward, like you say, hey, bend over and you know just fall forward, you're going to find that there's probably a rib hump on the right or left side. So you're going to see something jutting out right or jutting out left, um, depending on their curve, or it's going to be straight and there's going to be no rib hump. So we have like a neutral healthy spine, and then we have a little bit of dysfunction either right or left side. And that's the mm-hmm. simple way to tell, is there scoliosis or some form of it, or is there not? You can be born with scoliosis, but it doesn't really show up until you start hitting that growth spurt, until you start really interacting with gravity in an upright position. And you start to do the things like sitting or throwing or develop new skills. Your body is going to bias a specific um, path or an attractor well. And so scoliosis pulls you into that attractor well, and um, it can be progressive over time. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it typically it is because we're, we're not going to run away from gravity. It's always there. <laughs> the only time we're really not super interacting with gravity is when we're laying in our bed, laying on our back, but gravity is still holding us in that position. So we have to consider how we are interacting with gravity, especially when somebody has um, some form of scoliosis, because they're going to keep getting pulled that same direction because we've got a nose, we've got a head that's kind of in front of our body. It's going to keep pulling us into this flexion. Um, and into that same side bend. And we're naturally going to try to find some way out of that. Like we'll kind of fight it because we're told to sit up straight, pull your shoulders back, have good posture. Um, That can tend to be detrimental to somebody who's got scoliosis because now they're constantly fighting what their body wants to do, Mm -hmm. Um, which we'll we'll kind of break that that down further too when we talk about feeding the dysfunction. But generally scoliosis is, um, it's defined as basically a 10 degree curve or more on one side. So once you hit that 10 degrees, you're saying you have scoliosis. Yeah. Um, and if you can detect it earlier, there's a lot more things you can do about it and have hope to reverse it. Um, but the, most people like will, they'll wait till they're in their you know, 30s and 40s and they've already developed a, a 30 degree curve. And mm-hmm. so that becomes a little bit tougher to work with. However, it's still able to go the opposite direction. However, you may not go to a full neutral spine, but that's really not what's necessary. I mean, you think about all the, things that we do every single day, our lifestyle, it pulls us into some kind of functional scoliosis. Like think about how you drive. If you have one hand, I'm a a, uh, left hand on the steering wheel, right hand on the center column kind of guy. So I get pulled into a right (laughs) bend. And so I technically have a scoliosis while I'm driving because I have an abnormal curve, but I have the ability to rebalance and go through the opposite direction without a big fight. Um, If you're somebody who's um, traveling a lot and you always take the window seat on the left side of the plane, you're probably going to lay a certain way. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're always having a heavy backpack or purse on one side, you're probably going to get pulled a certain way. So something to be scared of. It's just something to be aware of that we can get pulled into these bends and rotations. And as long as we have some kind of practice that audits our poles and audits our flexion extension and audits our lateral bending and audits our rotation, our body has the knowledge to self-organize to find center or close mm-hmm. to center. And if we can visit those poles often, it gives our body better opportunities to find that center and to feel more balanced and safe here versus I feel safe in my dysfunction. Right. Yeah. And I, I really love that you brought up that it is a three-dimensional um, uh, dysfunction that a lot of us do think of it as this kind of frontal plane, this lateral flexion dysfunction, but there are three planes involved in it. So cool. 
So you had mentioned types of scoliosis. So let's chat a little bit about different types of scoliosis. Yeah, generally. So how I like to think about it is first, like where in the spine is it? Mm -hmm. Are we talking, is it in thoracic? Like, so your middle 12 pieces, um, or is it in your lumbar spine? So it's lower five. Typically the cervical, since there's just a lot of play in the shoulders and the neck, like where we see it happen most is thoracic, lumbar, or uh, thoracolumbar. So like in the middle, it may involve like T11, 12, and L1, L2. It may only involve L2, L3, L4, L5. It may only involve T3, 4, 5, 6. You know, so there's different pieces depending on how high that hump is or how low that hump is. Um, that's going to help us determine what position to work them into when we talk about movement to get them out of it. So um, is it middle, is it upper, middle, or lower back? Um, and then we, more so what you'll see in common ways to, to describe it is it's a C curve or an S curve. So we'll talk about the C curve because it's a little bit simpler to comprehend, but the S is basically just two Cs. And typically every C curve is going to be some kind of S curve progressed into some kind of dysfunction because our body's going to try to search for balance. Mm. So the C curve, it could be a high C, it could be a low C, and it could be a right or left. So which curve is it? Uh, it could be a mid C. So more mid back, left or right. And then it could be the S curve, which either has a right upper and left lower or the opposite, a left upper and right lower. So if we, if we think about, wow, there's a lot of different op options here. Like where do we, where do we go? Well, if an x-ray, you're going to find it no matter what. And it's going to give you the degrees. They're going to do the angles and tell you like you have this um, degree of curve, but it doesn't really tell you any way to get out of it. It's just like, Hey, your spine's not straight. And this is where it's not straight. Here you go. We can mm -hmm. put a metal rod in your back. We can um, try to work with soft tissue, um, but really we've we've got to consider like, okay, if there is this C curve, what does that mean for the rest of the body? How does the rest of the body have to deal with that? Where are we going to bail to? Mm. So um, yeah, we'll talk about C curve C curve more so, but uh, basically that C curve is your lateral bend. So to identify it, if somebody has a right rib hump, that generally means they're going to be leaning to their left. So that's going to be a right apex C curve. And then if they lean to their right, like they have a big left rib hump, that's a left apex. So we measure, we name it by the biggest section of curve is it on the right side or left side of the body. Um, so that's the apex. Yeah, I mean, if you like stand, if you just sit there and let your body fall, typically you're going to fall forward. But if you have a pretty heavy scoliosis, you're going to find that you want to lean to one side if you just fully let go. We tend to hold ourselves still and straight but we're constantly fighting. So if you just let that tension go, you'll find where you bail to. And if it's really confusing where you bail, but there's a lot of pain, you probably have a pretty severe like S curve because your body's trying to like stack like a spring and like one side's trying to compress and the other side is like fortified balance. And then it's like all neck and shoulders have pain. So mm. you want to like, you want to recognize the symptoms you have too, because that can be helpful just to recognize like when you start training or doing something about it, are those symptoms going away? Because you may still have your curve, but if we can mitigate symptoms with movement, oh man, getting out of oh. pain, like that's, that's why we do what that's we do it. when we're that's therapists, we, like exactly. yeah. get you out of that pain. Like <laughs> people want to do anything to get out of pain. It could be a cortisone shot. It could be, you know, uh, just cut off my limb. Like this is just so <laughs> uncomfortable or like, I'm going to take pain pills for the rest of my life. And we need to realize that that will help in the short term to relieve pain, but it's only masking what's really going on in there. And most scoliosis is idiopathic. Like we don't know what caused it. It's just, maybe it's hereditary. Um, and that's a dangerous game to play because if it's hereditary, then you just identify like, yeah, my parents had it. My parents' parents had it. And now you think I'm going to have it, but there's ways to 
mitigate it and to even reverse it and get out of it. Right now, they said there's no cure for it. There's just things that they can do, like put a metal rod in your spine and keep it straight, but now it doesn't want to bend, fuse your spine. Um, but I really feel, and I'm going to have a bias here, that uh, movement is the medicine. And if we get the right medicine or the right prescribed dose that we can find relief with our own actions. And if we can do that with our own body, like that is such a reassurance of our own power, um, interacting with the forces of nature. Like I just feel so connected. Mm -hmm. um, um, and I hope others feel that same way when they feel like, whoa, I feel better. And it's been an hour and you didn't even touch me. You know, mm -hmm. you just, you just helped me move and put me in positions that were contorted and awkward. And I was uncoordinated, but I feel better. Are you tricking me? Is this magic? It's like, yeah, <laughs> movement is magic. We just got to figure yeah. out how to use it. Awesome. Movement is medicine. Movement is magic. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey, everyone. I just wanted to take a moment to invite you to enter our holiday giveaway. This holiday, we are giving away one of our musical anatomy shirts, apparel, these designs uh, that were drawn by Alexandra Petrokina. I love them. They're incredible. So you would get a shirt plus a bag, a 50 count bag of Fontis lozenges. So the lozenges and the shirt, if you are interested in entering for a chance to win, all you have to do is rate the podcast, write a positive review, take a picture of it, post it on your Instagram, tag the visceral voice. And when I see that tag, I will enter your name. On December 28th, I will do the drawing. I will pick a name from the hat and see who wins. And I will post the winner. I'm super excited about our holiday giveaway. I hope you are too. Thank you so much for your support. And now back to the show. Um, and you had already kind of mentioned that someone could be born with this. So it could be congenital. Scoliosis can be congenital. So since birth. Um, and then you mentioned different ways of having it be kind of functional. What, you know, maybe we don't have an actual congenital or skeletal, or maybe it didn't even come through when we were going through puberty. But if we're constantly leaning to one side in our car, if we have that purse, or then we can kind of start to create some functional dysfunction. <laughs> yeah. It, it, and really, it's not, a, it's not a horrible thing. Like dysfunction sometimes gets such a bad rap, but like dysfunction is simply like recognizing there is something that's abnormal or off. What can we do about it? And if we can have a, like ask that question, it gets us out of this feedback loop of continuous pain. Stop doing the things we love. Like there's no hope, like instill hope by moving and giving yourself an opportunity. And if it is functional scoliosis, well, you don't need to stop what you're doing, but maybe just, all right, if you drive with the left hand on the steering wheel, hey, for a few minutes, try the right side. I guarantee you'll end up right back on the left a few minutes later because you'll stop thinking about it. Hey, mm -hmm. that's a game to play with yourself. Shoveling. <laughs> which side do you always shovel on? I play this game with myself. I love shoveling from my right side, throwing it over or throwing that side. When I go to the other side, I'll get like five reps. I'm like, oh, good, I got my other side. And somehow I end up back on the other side. I'm like, <laughs> where did I go for that? Like two reps. Like all of a sudden I'm back where I thought I wasn't. <laughs> so it's a, it's a continuous like conversation with our body and, and uh, the forces. You had briefly mentioned that we, someone can begin to, and again, we're not going for a, cold, a full correction or a neutral spine, but we have, we've, you've mentioned, and we've kind of talked about maybe getting rid of some of that pain and potentially correcting some of that scoliosis, or at least the pain through movement. So 
how how do you go about that? Like, what what is the degree of correction you feel like an individual can have? I know that that's individual mm-hmm. based totally. on each person, um, but what degree could someone potentially experience of correction? Yeah, I mean, with most cases of scoliosis, from what I've I've seen experience, it's very mild. Um, but when it's seen in older age, and I'm not saying that these people are old, I'm just saying your age and you've been around the earth for quite a bit longer. Um, you know, I consider old hundred now, so yeah. like that's, yeah. now you're getting up there. You're saying, <laughs> thank you. So, Me too. Yeah. <laughs> now that I'm pretty much middle aged, <laughs> I've seen people who get younger, you know, they're 60, 70 years old and been in pain in th- for 30 years. Like that's, that's 30 years of identifying with something that is you, but you haven't found a way to communicate with it. And um, shift the narrative. So it, it completely depends on at what stage you're catching it. Is it the early stage where it's under 30 degrees? Is it a, a progressive stage where you're like 30 to 50 degrees? And then is it like beyond the surgery where they're like, hey, you don't really have any hope. Like here's just the pain stuff for you, like pain medications and shots. That's like 50 degrees plus. So it's it's always helpful to have like a, an x-ray initially just so that we know, but it's not necessarily, mm-hmm. it's not necessary, but it's helpful. And it gives us some closure and the 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 individual some closure of like, okay, this is where I'm at. Um, but not to identify with that. That's just where we are currently. So it's a it's a behavioral dysfunction as much as it is a physical dysfunction, as much as it is a biological dysfunction. So I I, I really um, hope that if you are working with anybody with scoliosis or you have scoliosis yourself, like question like, how do I feel about this? Like internally, um, because that helps me create a program that is not too invasive. It's not too much. Um, but it's right where they are in their own mind. Um, and then biologically, like, okay, are they really severe curve? Is there a huge rib, rib hump? And are they experiencing a ton of discomfort? Because if they are, my goal is to get them out of discomfort first, gain mm-hmm. some trust, and then let's go a little bit deeper. Now that you feel that there is possibility of change, can we keep going along that path? Um, and then physically, like, help them understand how they're communicating with gravity. Most of us are fighting gravity. Uh, mm-hmm. We've been taught to fight gravity. Gravity sucks. Don't fall. You know, be careful. <laughs> what if you just taught yourself to fall better, you know, or to like feel the ground more? You know, there's there's ways to interact with the forces that now aren't a threat. It's now a game to play. And it's like you start to recognize like, hey, gravity has a voice um, in mm-hmm. my body. The force, when I hit the ground, I feel something that goes up. Um, when I'm swinging my body, I can now shift my momentum. How fast am I doing? How slow am I doing? How far am I going? So kind of understanding this 3D grid or sphere, what's above you, what's below you, what's in front of you, what's behind you, what's the sides of you, and then can you rotate and recognize your place in space? So if we can like get through those little pieces, it's super helpful. I mean, we don't always go that route. Sometimes it's like, hey, do this exercise because they just want the movement. So like that's always a great way to go. But as a practitioner, it's good to know what you're dealing with because some are really emotional with scoliosis like Mm -hmm. understandably it sucks and like you've been told all these things like you might have to have a metal rod in your back for the rest of your life like how limiting and debilitating that is um i know the people with metal rods and they can still function and still work out i know the people have fused spines they still function still work out because they didn't listen to that narrative like you you can't you won't you'll never it's Mm -hmm. like okay i gotta shift those three to something that i have hope to do i can try to do and i can work towards Ideally, if they're younger, like under 16, they're going to have high potential of getting back to a pretty neutral. And there's always intervention of like, you go, we definitely go see a doctor just to get some, like, I'm not going to say that my words are more powerful than, than theirs, or um, they just may be more insightful of what's going on. 
because it's more critical thinking, but good to know like what the doctor recommends, but also seek another opinion. You know, there's holistic doctors out there, practitioners out there, massage therapists, chiropractors that are all going to give you a different story based on their experience with it and what they've learned. But somebody who understands the 3D space can help them get back to a spot where um, that lateral bend and that rotation is now instead of 30 degrees, we get down to 20 and to 15. And just to make that difference from 30 to 15 degrees, how much less pain you have and how much more hope you have because you know you can get out of it when you're in pain. So Mm -hmm. it's always a conversation like, hey, you're probably going to be doing these exercises and these movements the rest of your life. Like just just know that because you're interacting with gravity every single day and you train your body 24 hours a day, you know, six to eight of those is sleeping, sometimes less. Six to eight of those could be sitting or at a standing desk. And then what are you doing that 30 minutes of that hour, maybe a day, every day, or maybe three times a week, that that's your intentional time to rebalance or to create an environment to allow your body to heal and to self-organize in ways that are more efficient. Right? Our body has attractor wells. We know how we kind of dig in and lay our roots and interact with gravity, but is there a better way? As soon as our body recognizes less pain, less discomfort, and a more balanced fluid movement, it wants to go that way. But if we just feel better and then all of a sudden our body goes back to those years of what we put it through, uh, we're just going to go back to that same cycle. And so we have to think about, okay, we've got to create a new lifestyle change, a habit. And if we can keep going towards the route of less pain, you're going to your curve will, let's let's not worry about it going to zero. Let's worry first about getting you something that you can do that's as great as a cortisone shot or as a something that just gets you immediately out of pain and limits inflammation. If we can provide that, now there's more hope to get you out of that, that uh, dysfunction. But if we're doing movements that hurt you and make it worse, your body's going to be like, this sucks. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to stop. And then we're just going to let um, the forces of gravity kind of pull us into wherever it wants to pull us. Right. So there, there is hope. And it's a completely individual basis, an individual conversation. Um, but I think the earlier you catch it and the earlier you intervene with what's going on subconsciously, um, your better chances of getting out of that pain and even out of that dysfunction are much higher. Now, I mean, you and I both have explored, searched for this kind of, some would consider out of the box thinking of this three dimensional movement. So, in your traditional training, what would you say, what percentage of trainers out there with traditional training and not kind of this out-of-the-box thinking of multi-direction, what percentage do you think knows how to work with scoliosis? I'm going to be honest. I was there where I'm like, I'm not going to touch that. And I, mm-hmm. it was not my place too, because I, I didn't do the work to think about these layers. And now it's like a point where like, I don't understand scoliosis entirely. I still have to think through the entire process for each person that comes in. So it's a lot more work, a lot more critical thinking. Um, but I think many just have, they don't want to touch it because that goes for any kind of pain, knee pain, ankle pain, foot pain, back pain, shoulder pain, brain pain, skull pain, you know, whatever you got, ghost pains, um, all those things exist. But as a trainer, that's not our territory. As a coach though, if that's the route you want to take and you want to learn more about it, do your research on it, learn, um, the the how AFS approaches scoliosis, which is applied functional science through the Gray Institute. You know, it's the behavioral, it's the physical, and it's the biological. Now you have such a much wider lens and view to look at what is going on, at least in that lens. You know, mm-hmm. there's the medical side too that just sees this as man, your spine is like this or like you know, big curve. We need to straighten that thing out because neutral spine is the best. Um, they're not wrong, but it's also because they may not be able to see beyond their scope or they they're they're 
um, they're not allowed to go beyond their scope. You didn't get their protocol. Mm-hmm. That's what they have to do. So I think trainers are really in that boat of just like, uh, go see your doctor because they would have, they would have more knowledge about the situation than we would. So I think a majority of, of trainers that are just in fitness. Yeah. There's no idea what's going on with scoliosis. They're probably a little handful, but they're still not going to touch it because that's a, that's a big liability. Um, if you really don't know anything about it and you hurt somebody doing it, but we have ways to not, to guarantee not hurting somebody as long as we say the right words and, and slowly work into more and more successful zones. We don't start with um, lack of success. We start with what they can do. They walk in here, they can walk. There's a success point. Can they look up? Can they look down? Can they lean left? Can they lean right? Can they turn their head? Perfect. We can now continue to build those layers that now go right into that dysfunction. And it's, it's never a telling. It's more of a suggesting and guiding. And to establish that rapport as a coach um, is so powerful. So we want to be mindful um, as trainers that we don't want to just dive into this right away, like try to refer to a specific place to go. But there are tons of videos by this guy, uh, Ed Paget, I believe he's in Canada. He's a gift fellow um, that I met who dives, he's like, he like specializes in scoliosis. So he's a great resource to go learn of just at least how to communicate to somebody. If you have a client who's got scoliosis, maybe go check out his videos and just start with some mobilizing and strengthening. We'll talk about some strategies that are really easy to start, but there's always more layers and more parts we get to deal with if we're looking at a whole human. So yeah, I mean, training realm, fitness realm, probably not the best place to go for scoliosis, but if you know individuals that are involved in that fitness and also the restorative side and have a good gauge of dealing with different dysfunctions, um, knee pain, back pain, shoulder pain, all the different kind of pains that pop up in movement, um, they're going to get down to something that's going to help. But yeah. definitely understanding um, wh- where you're at as a coach too, as a trainer, you know, it may not be your place to, to, to fix those things, just to share and guide. Yeah. You and I both kind of are in the mindset or the training of asking why, (laughs) why, why is this happening? What is happening? Um, And so why is movement important for scoliosis? What a question. From my view, movement is the medicine, right? But movement is life. Like if we don't move, everything is still and nothing exists. So like I'm dealing with the truth a principle that is movement is a good thing, or at least it's something that we have to become aware of because we do it. And even if we're sitting still here, our breath is moving. There's inner parts that are moving and, and communicating with gravity. Like even sitting here, if I just fully stop moving, I'm going to still move because something is interacting with me or pulling me. So if we think about a C curve and let's just use the right apex, you can just reverse this for the left apex. And depending on where the bot in the body, um, you're working on like that's what we have the mdmc course for so you can critically think these pieces so um, i'm a shameless plug on that one it's super helpful i went to the mdmc <laughs> course but that is basically instills the movement practice um into whatever dysfunction you're dealing with so you can critically think as opposed to going through a protocol you go through a thinking protocol versus a movement protocol um and that came from Green institute too so cool so if we have a right apex scoliosis that means you just fall to your left right your right side is jutting out so if you think about movement truth here, we got to think about the position that our scoliosis was pulled into or gravity pulled us into. So consider the 3D, the three motions or the three planes and the six poles, right? Forward and back, side to side and twisting the pole. If we're in a right apex, we're in a left lateral bend and typically it's going to be a right rotation. So we call that a type one spine uh, motion. That's type one to your right rotation, leaning left, turning right and flexing forward. 
So the natural tendency to think about when you think you have bad posture, what do you do? You go the opposite way. You're like, oh, I gotta like, I gotta straighten out, I gotta flex. But if we fight what our body wants to do when we're not thinking, we're going to in a continuous battle and tug of war with our natural state. Our natural state may not be um, complete balance. Our natural state may be off balance, but that's where our body has identified as our spot. That's how I hold myself. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's think less about just pulling us out of this. Let's go deeper into the dysfunction. So if you like are in your right apex and you're leaning left, turning right, kind of falling forward, how about you lean left more? You turn right more and you fall forward more. Well, that's going to create more dysfunction. But what you just did was eccentrically load your whole right side of your spine and you shorten your left side more. So when you eccentrically load and you get more of that length, like gravity is pulling us down to our left and looking to the right. As soon as I go deeper there, gravity says I'm pulling you. And then our stretch shorten cycle or those tissues sense more length, they want to shorten. And so instead of just saying, hey, I'm here, I need to straighten out and go the opposite way. No, now we just start with that type one, go deeper and then pull yourself out of that. So your body kind of spring loads into a more balanced state as opposed to fighting and playing tug of war to a more balanced state. So that's where we start. Um, But we have to think as much as it is a... um, position issue we need to understand that that position involves mobility in some parts of the body mm-hmm. and stability in some parts of the body so in terms of mobility like we can think about the side bending mobility is like the ability to lengthen really in those joints flexibility is like in the tissue so we can for this we'll use flexibility and mobility as a as a full um a kind of synonym so if we're leaning to our left what we need to think about is we are more mobile on our right side of our core. Like we can get more length there. Our body's pulling us that way. We're shortening our left side. So we need to mobilize the left side. We need to stretch that apart. Maybe foam rolling, soft tissue work, but everything along the left side of the spine, left side of the rib cage, from the armpit down to the knee. But even more so from the nose to the toes. Like we're going the whole section of mobility. So you can bend the opposite way, but in order to get the mobility, we have to feel very stable. So we use four points of contact. You got two feet, two arms. So instead of just hanging out in that opposite side bend, now we're leaning to our right, which our body's like, don't go there. If we go hang on to something like a true stretch or a door or like a, um, you know, like the little silver bars you see in the shower, sometimes you put that up and drill it into the wall and hang on to it, a mobility stick, just something that pulls you into that length. And now our body can settle here and just mm. takes time. Think of it as it's, it's now you're doing your yin yoga for scoliosis. You're just hanging in a position, <laughs> three minutes, two minutes, whatever it is for that person, where you're not fighting. It shouldn't even hurt. It should just be like, wow, this is a huge stretch. If it hurts, we've gone too far. So we're finding the sweet spot of range, but that's just your lateral bending mobility. We also have to think our, our body's rotated to the right in this right apex. You know, we're leaning left, lean, turning right. So if we now are leaning right, we also need to turn left. So we're treating both planes of motion at the same time, the frontal and the transverse. So I can take my left hand and stack it up on top and right hand across and grab on. You might be wondering, how do I do that? Go look up a true stretch. You'll have a, you know exactly what you know how you can hold that thing. But if we just hang out there, now my spine is experiencing the complete opposite pull of where I'm being pulled into. Mm-hmm. And we're not doing it with any effort. We're just hanging on. And we're not fighting or anything. We're just letting gravity pull us down, pull us apart like Laffy Taffy in the sun. It's just like, whoa. It's melting. It's lengthening. It's like you just put butter on the skillet and it's just spreading out, right? Oh, this feels great. So <laughs> once you've mobilized that space, 
we don't end there because now their body's gonna be like, wow, I feel stretched out, but I don't have any idea how to stabilize this. It just hurts mm-hmm. more now because I'm like a loose spring. So we have to think, okay, if there's right apex scoliosis, that left side was shortened, well, we need to strengthen this right side because this left side is really strong. It wants to hold on. It wants to stay in that position. Right side is strong, but strong in that length. We need to create shortening on the right side, but from the lengthened position. Because if we just shorten the right side, well, now we're just mobilizing the left. So we have to feed the dysfunction. We'll go deeper into left bending and right rotation and then use a pulley machine or a dumbbell and a band. Like we'll talk about some exercises specifically, but if I can get that length and it's pulling me into where my body already wants to go, now my body wants to come out of that. It's like when you do a lunge, you've loaded that tissue and you explode back. You do a squat, you're getting ready to jump. You have to load it before you explode it. If you try to mm-hmm. jump from legs standing, you're not going to go anywhere. If you drop down into a loaded position, knees bent, hips flexed, and then pop up, now you're going to strengthen yourself in that position. So we're thinking about it from a mobility standpoint and a strength standpoint. And long story short, that movement combination of mobilizing to create access and then strengthening to create stability in that more central state without um, um, compromising your spine's ability to to move through that position. You're just like, oh, now I've kinked the other way and now I'm, I'm, I'm pinching. We don't want to go that far. But we find our sweet spot and then progressively move um, with maybe a little bit more load. I mean, we're talking like two to 10 pounds initially. Um, we don't want to strain the spine. We want to work it and um, build endurance in it. Like most of the day, we're just working with our spine, body weight stuff. So let's not even talk about like heavy training right now. Let's just talk about creating an environment in our body and our spine that creates more balance. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think anybody's actually centered and nobody should be thinking, I just need to be completely centered. It's the ebbs and flows of life. Can we move through center with ease? In scoliosis, your center is way off. So it's tougher to move through your center because you're already pulled further away. So mm-hmm. the movement helps to restore it through mobilizing and stabilizing. And that's treating it from a simple um, movement standpoint. There's still some behavioral stuff in there and coordination that we have to work through. So it's in stages, um, but some get there quicker than others because they put the time in. Um, yeah. And it's really about the personal practice, not what I do, it's what they do. Oh, for um, sure. But I can set them up for it. Yeah. That really resonates with me and probably why I love this form of training so much because it is very similar to what I have been trained as a manual therapist, where instead of manipulating the tissue in the direction that it doesn't want to go, we bring the tissue in the direction of ease. So often in my soap notes is that DOE, do (laughs) direction Hmm. of ease. So we're Hmm. moving that tissue in the direction of ease to allow the body to then release that so that we can come back and find closer to a neutral and then we bring it into a lengthened position. So interesting. I mean, different wording, um, but same concept. So yeah, I mean, behaviorally, behaviorally, we think we've been told bad posture, you know, or bad position, don't go that way. But our body's like, I want to go that way. So Mm -hmm. how can we bridge that gap? And it comes through like, okay, let's go that way. But then let's come out of it. Let's meet you where you are, body. But let me show you where I want you to go. And that simple fix, like, I don't know if you know Dr. Joe Dispenza, but um, I Mm -hmm. went through a course a few years back uh, with him just online learning. I was like at 4 a.m. every day for like two months because I was so involved with it. But he (laughs) says, you know, like what fires together, wires together. So if you can if you can get your tissues to load and to proprioceptively start to fire up, all those nerves are saying, hey, I'm, I'm alive. And then also you bring your thoughts and an intent into that movement pattern and you come out of it, 
it's it becomes such a um an expression of gratitude because i don't know i think movement is like the ultimate expression he says uh gratitude's like the ultimate expression or state of receivership it's like we receive this ability to move can we express gratitude to move versus saying we we shouldn't move we can't move mm. we we switch that narrative you have so much potential it's just where do you want to go with it <laughs> yeah yes oh just so inspiring so many times already uh, i've i've just had chills from so much of what you're saying i'm like <laughs> oh yes speaking truth to me um right now um yeah so what are some actual exercises, specific exercises that you do with some of your clients with scoliosis? Yeah. Um, there's, it depends on how deep they want to go. Like I, I think scoliosis is a say is like a, a stepping stone into just better overall health, healthy movement and understanding how your body has ended up in this position. So those who have scoliosis may be in a better boat to understand how they interact with all the forces and nature and just things that we don't see, we just feel. Um, because you're dealing with pain, you're dealing with discomfort and you want to get out of it, you start finding ways out of it, you're gonna be like, I'm gonna keep, I'm gonna keep going this route. So the first, I mean, exercise that I would do is mobilize, like I was sharing. So using a door, a true stretch. Um, there's some some videos up on um on YouTube again, not mine, but uh, Ed Ed Paget from from Grand Institute for Canada giving him a shout so much because I just love his work. But uh, mobilizing the space that is shortened and then go ahead and you know attach a pulley or like a you know like a kaiser or a, a trx or something that you have to you can attach somewhere and pull against i like to use like a, a half inch bungee like a little loop and just mm -hmm. put it around the door handle like you'll get in pt like those those pieces of equipment they make really boring exercises that are really helpful in like the first few weeks of healing but afterwards they don't simulate anything in real life so mm -hmm. i want to know what that person wants to do in their life do they want to hike? Do they want to run? Do they want to play catch with their kids, kick a soccer ball, just get in and out of their car without pain, squat down and do gardening? Because I'm going to use that environment and I'm going to put that into the program. So if they're if they're wanting to garden and get down on a knee and bend over, I'm going to integrate that mobility and stability in those positions and frame that exercise into that um, that intention or that action. Um, it's tough to kind of come up with the exact exercises, but I mean, if you have a dumbbell and you have a bungee, those two tools are all you need to get your scoliosis um, symptoms decreased and then also to feed into more of a functional, um, healthy spine. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, every exercise will help as long as you don't go too hard, but there's such thing as poorly prescribed exercises, which ones that the person won't do, um, or they're too complex or it's hurting them. You know, I want to think about those three things. So um, when you're programming exercises, does it hurt? No, it's probably a good exercise. Can you add more parts to it that involve the spine that don't hurt? Um, I think all movement is good movement, but again, there's some movements that are going to be better than others. And a lot of people know that this is what I was, you know, what I grew up with is no pain, no gain. Though that was mm -hmm. great for character building and I built up a lot of grit. Physically, I was suffering. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Mentally, I was suffering because I was living a narrative that was combating with what I felt um, inside and nobody was hearing that. So um, exercise is good. Movement is good. Don't be afraid of it. But if there's things that are really hurting you, if it's hurting you and getting worse, it's probably a bad thing. If it's hurting you initially and then you feel better, you're probably breaking through some of the cobwebs and the dust of just lack of movement because of being scared or fearful of what it could do to you. Um, 
Yeah, it's it's an individual conversation too. So I hope that if, if anybody's listening and has scoliosis or coaches somebody with scoliosis, they just reach out with more questions. And that's the best thing we can do is just communicate. Like, what's your strategy? Like, what worked? What didn't? Um, and continue to open up a protocol for each individual versus for scoliosis in general. But yeah. I think if you're going to have a protocol, think mobility, think stability in reference to the individual. Amazing. Yeah, I'm all about the team approach for sure. So reach out, communicate. We all communicate <laughs> with each other. Uh, so great. CJ, thank you so much for taking the time and coming on and talking with us about scoliosis today. I know that you are very, very busy as the director of programming. So thanks for taking the time and being here. It's just been absolutely awesome hanging out for this hour and chatting with you. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate being on. And uh, though I'm busy, it's 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 not busy work, you know, it's always... Mm it's, it's evolving, it's growing, it's helping somebody. Um, and, and I can always take some time out of my day to talk about scoliosis and movement. I mean, that, that re-energizes my passion for what, what I do every day. Um, so yeah, I, I encourage people to ask and reach out and, um, follow me, you know, don't go on, go on mine. I do some weird stuff that I don't recommend every single person do, but it will at least raise some curiosity and questions in your own practice. Um, so there's my disclaimer, by the way, <laughs> don't do what I do or what I say, just ask questions about what you do. <laughs> yeah. And actually speaking of that, um, how, if the listeners want to get in touch with you, if they want to contact you, what are the best ways to do that? Yeah, right now it's my, my Instagram channel, um, movement underscore exploration underscore channel. You'll see it's like one of the longest IG names out there. Um, but if you just send me a DM, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that typically within a week. Um, unless it gets really crazy, but we also have um, a, a Facebook page for movement practitioners. It's kind of like a mastermind. It's free. Um, reach out to Gymnazo EDU's page. Gymnazo EDU will help you get kind of that conversation rolling. We're using Discord right now to just have an ongoing conversation with people from all over the world, and it's um, it's inspiring because we're all helping each other without competing against each other. And that's our environment here: is coaches working together. Um, to work with multiple people, um, a couple hundred people every single week. And uh, we're not competing for clients. We're competing to serve them the best way we can. So we're trying to create an environment virtually for that. Um, and the best way to really get involved and kind of get get a, a little bit more information about them, us and then even how we serve our people and kind of get involved in a deeper mastermind of all the back end stuff of chain reaction biomechanics and matrix grid stuff and the spiritual side like that's what our mdmc course is for the multi-dimensional movement course and that's also through gymnasio edu so just go follow them on instagram too and uh you'll, you'll have a lot of questions answered and probably understand that you have a lot more questions than you thought you had <laughs> awesome amazing thank you so much again yeah Appreciate you, Christine. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, tell your colleagues, students, and friends. Subscribe, rate, and please write a review. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook, and feel free to check out my website at www.thevisceralvoice.com for information on programs and upcoming events. I hope you join us next time for another wonderful conversation on The Visceral Voice.